The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we're at episode 23. This one aired April 8th, 1951. And what's fun about this one for me is we have two iconic performers here. And names you'll, I no doubt, have no doubt will recognize. However, in 1951, one of them was already established as an icon coming in. And the other had an entire life span left to to build a legacy. And it's curious, you know, and at that point in time, are they sick of the one they know about already? Or are they exhilarated and recognize the talent of the one that's maybe a little newer? So starting with the newer one, the one that I was excited and a little bit surprised about was Aussie Davis. And this is uh, the African-American civil rights activist, husband of equally iconic Ruby D, and someone who really pioneered a path for black entertainers uh, at a time when there wasn't clear paths necessarily to follow for those more distinguished careers in acting and directing. And Aussie found a way. Uh, He started in 1939 and made his film debut in Sidney Poitier's No Way Out, which was probably really thrilling for Aussie Davis, who, for anybody. But what was really special for Aussie was that was his role model. That was somebody whose career he wanted to follow because he was very resistant to what was largely available for black actors, which was the caricature roles or the ones that were deemed particularly by today's standards as very demeaning and racist. He wanted that Sidney Poitier distinguished role career and so started off really, really well uh, with that. And again, by 1951, I mean, this is fresh new ground. Sidney is like hacking out for others to follow. So the role's maybe aren't as meaty or as interesting or as uh, plentiful as Aussie would have liked. So 1951 really would not have been possibly that big of a star to audiences. They may or may not have recognized him outside of like theater circles. So what happens with him though is about 10 years after this, it's the 60s. And so he and his wife become integral to the civil rights movement. They are very close with Malcolm X, Jesse Jackson, and Martin Luther King Jr. They help organize the March on Washington in 1963. They are absolutely front and center of this movement and are in the entertainment business, so have kind of an added platform that they can use. Ossie would do that starting in the 60s. He became a notable black director when there were very few at the time. But all of that even, his true like recognition as an actor actually came in the 90s <laughs> when he was in a string of really popular films like Grumpy Old Men, The Client, and Dr. Doolittle. But then he had a CBS sitcom that ran for about four years. It was huge called Evening Shade. I was like, oh, I haven't thought of Evening Shane in years. Like, I, I'm so glad I was reminded of that show. I'm going to try to find where you streamed that because I want to rewatch it. We never missed Evening Shade. We loved it. And that was with, uh, I believe, Burt Reynolds and Mary Lou Henner. But Aussie Davis was on that as well. Yeah, 1951, maybe nobody quite picked up on what was to come for him. Um, but he's here. 
the one that everybody would have known at that time was Rudy Valley. And I really, I knew the name. I know he's a singer. That's about all I knew. So reading about him was interesting because he was a pioneer in his own right. He's credited as the first crooner to rise up in the New York City radio broadcast that happened in the late 20s. Rudy comes along at a time when you had to have an enormously powerful voice to hit every single seat in a venue. But Rudy, his talent and his voice was much more suited to the subtleties of singing into a microphone where you have the amplification given to you. And so he immediately became popular because he's new, he's different, he's singing in a way that was very sensual compared to what a lot of other people were doing and became a really big celebrity, one of the very first radio celebrities, vocalist-wise, followed by flappers everywhere. Apparently was a ladies' man anyway, so this was probably not a burden for him. (laughs) But um, he was very, very popular. And because he was new and because he was so popular, it's like anything else. He's different. He's a product of a changing technology in music. He has detractors. People really loved him or they really hated him, apparently. And so a radio fan magazine, which I think this is funny, they wanted people to write in to explain Rudy Valley. Why is he successful? You didn't have to love him. It just They just wanted to know, why do you think he's so successful? The winner of this letter writing contest was someone who didn't like Rudy Valley, but this is what he said. Quote, Rudy Valley is reaping the harvest of a seed that is seldom sown this day and age love. The good looking little son of a gun really and honestly loves his audience and his art. He loves to please listeners, loves it more than he does his name in the big lights, his mug in the papers. He loved all those unseen women as passionately as a voice can love long before they began to purr and to caress him with two cent stamps and <laughs> I don't know if it's jealousy, sarcasm, respect, like, but it's a great description. I love that. Rudy Valley also a, a movie star in his own right, not nearly on the level as an Aussie Davis, but he started off in movies in the 30s because he was attractive. Audiences liked him. I kind of described as wooden in the beginning, really awkward, Uh, but he found his footing in the 40s and had hits even as late as the 60s. Memorably, I remember Mama and Faithfully Yours, The Bachelor and The Bobby Soxer, and I think the most recognizable how to succeed in business without really trying, which was something he did on Broadway and then performed it again for the big screen again really fun when we have what we know are two icons that may or may not be known at that time to an audience they we see the end we're looking backward like oh wow um the oh wow would have been Rudy Valley did they have an oh wow moment with Aussie Davis I mean I remember the first time seeing you know hugely popular actors or singers for the first time and you're just like oh my gosh that person's a star like instant star like did probably didn't happen for Aussie Davis but did they recognize the talent were they thrilled by his yeah you never know Uh, but he found his footing too along the way hopefully you enjoy this one too as much as I did from April 8th 1951 this is the big show
You are about to be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. For the next hour and 30 minutes, this program will present in person such bright stars as... Uh, Fred Allen. Vivian Blaine. Alonzo Bozan. Ozzie Davis. Jimmy Durante. Portland Harper. William Marshall. Jane Morgan. Rudy Valley. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. So listen, America, the Titans of America, we're going to kill you all the fools. The Big Show, 90 minutes with the most scintillating personalities in the entertainment world. Brought to you this Sunday and every Sunday at the same time as the Sunday feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. And here is your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable... Tallulah Bankhead. Well, darlings, we sure had a time for ourselves in Hollywood last week. Ghastly. Oh, not that we didn't enjoy doing a show with all those wonderful people out there. But you've got to accustom yourself to so many different things. Now, take a little thing like the water, for instance. It felt different when I took my bath. And it even tastes different, they tell me. <laughs> well, it was so good to get back to New York, I was walking on air. I got out of the plane before we landed. <laughs> well, I was so glad to get back that Excuse I... Excuse me, Tallulah. Yes, what is it, Rudy Valley? Tallulah, what time is this show over? Uh, 7.30, darling. Why? Thank you. Excuse me, Tallulah. To the young lady in the eighth row, fourth seat from the aisle with a dark red nail polish, I've been watching you, my dear. May I suggest dinner, a movie, and a nightclub? Meet me at the stage door at 7.30. Please be prompt. Rudy! This offer expires at 7.35, April 8th. <laughs> Employees of the National Broadcasting Company and their relatives are not eligible to enter this contest. Thank you, Tallulah. Now, just a moment, Rudy. This is getting ridiculous. Every week, there's somebody on this program who starts making dates with everyone else on the show and completely overlooks me. After all, I am Tallulah Bankhead. Glamorous. Exciting. A scintillating conversationalist. And besides, I do the hiring on this show. Hmm. To whom it may concern in the eighth row, please consider our date as of this evening cancelled. I'm sorry. For you, of course. It would have been fun. This does not preclude a future engagement. Please send me your forwarding seat. Well, that's better. And don't forget, we have a date after the show. I won't. And bring your checkbook. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Oh, excuse me, Chaloo? Yes, Jimmy. To the lady in the balcony, eight row, first two seats. Now, Jimmy, don't you start that. Oh, it's all right when Valley does it, but when I do it, comments. What's the matter? I'm as good as him? Uh, darling, you mean as good as he. It's not as good as him. Grammatically, it's as good as he, or better than he, and not him, he. Teacher, can I leave the room? <laughs> Jimmy, darling, grammatically, that should say 
could be, may I leave the room? Any child knows that. Chalou, when a kid wants to leave the room, who's got time to think of grammar? Well, Jimmy, darling, I shouldn't be correcting your grammar. After all, you've done pretty well the way you are. I ain't ashamed of the way I talk. I got a pretty good education when I was a kid. Oh, you went to a little red schoolhouse? Watch your language. <laughs> if you don't think I got an education, ask me something. All right, now let me see. Let's start with the alphabet. Can you recite it, Jimmy? That's easy. N, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M. Very good, Jimmy. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's more. O-P-Q-R-S-T-V. TV? What happened to you? A minute. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, what comes after TV? I don't know, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> I know you will be, darling. Don't... Didn't think I knew the alphabet. Ask me some more. All right, how are you with the arithmetic? I can take it or leave it. Well, now, let's try you. How much is one in one? One what? Just one in one. It doesn't make any difference. It does with rabbits. <laughs> well, then, how about this one, Jimmy? A little more difficult. Let, uh, let us say, butter is 20 cents a pound. How much butter can you buy for $3? I don't know that one. Why not? When butter was 20 cents a pound, I didn't have $3. <laughs> well, mathematics is not your fault. How do you do with languages, Jimmy? I studied them all. I studied French, German, Greek, Spanish. Oh, what was the toughest language for you? English. <laughs> and you mastered all those other languages? Yeah, but it didn't do me any good. Hit it, Meredith. <laughs> Say, now, the other day I was relaxing in my bubble bath. Bearing the big ones with my nose. No sooner had I settled down and started to sing when the telephone began to ring. So calling for one of my butlers, I said, Meadows, I'll take that call on extension 12. And who do you think was calling? The president of Yale University, Mr. Harvard. He said, Mr. Durante, we want to confer on you the highest degree this school can offer. And what do you think they made me? An honorary human being. <laughs> but with all my education, my mind is not at best. There's something I gotta get off my chest. I won scholarships and lots of fame at Oxford and at Notre Dame. But when I walk into a restaurant, I can't read a menu. When I'm in society, I'm never upset. You see, I know my etiquette. Why, even when I drink tea, I extend my little finger. That indicates a left turn into the spaghetti. <laughs> you know, this may come as a surprise to you, but I was a child prodigy. Yes, I was years ahead of myself. Let me explain. Most kids graduate from public school at the age of 12. I was only four. Most kids graduate from high school at the age of 18. I was only 12. Most kids graduate from college at the age of 24. I was only 15. And believe it or not, at the age of 32, I was only 27. <laughs> Why, Einstein wouldn't make a move, a move that I wouldn't approve, but still I can't read a menu. You know, folks, the other night I invited Mrs. Van Hemingway out to dine. That's the Rudy LaPoo. I took one look at the classy French menu and it said, Paul Roger 29. I was afraid to order it. I thought it was a used car. <laughs> At that juncture, Mrs. Van Hemingway handed me the menu and said, uh, 
Would you mind ordering for me? I was trapped. The only thing I could pronounce on the menu was, what's your hat and coat? <laughs> anyway, I nonchalantly picked up the menu and ordered. I ordered Boulanger Milanese Vichy Soir Souffle. Two hours later, out came an order on a silver wagon. Underneath the tray was a flame. And on top of the flame, there it was undercover. My Boulanger Milanese Vichy Soir Souffle. <laughs> I knew I'd muff before I got finished with it. Before me, I lifted the lid. And what do you think it turned out to be? A grilled frankfurter. <laughs> so you see, I save my money every time, yet I'm starving half the time. Cause I can't read a menu. Wonderful, my darling Jimmy. Hilarious as ever. It was back in 1930 when Mark Connolly brought his tender and moving fable, Green Pastures, to Broadway. It won the Pulitzer Prize and a permanent place in the hearts of thousands of theatergoers. Tonight, Green Pastures is back playing at the Broadway Theater. And if anything, more beautifully presented, more beautifully enacted than ever. We are privileged to welcome to the big show now three of the famous players whose artistic portrayals of the principal roles do so much to make this revival of Green Pastures a brilliant and memorable success. Here is William Marshall, who plays the Lord, Arcee Davis as Gabriel, and Alonzo Bozin as Noah. private office in heaven. Gabriel, with his pencil and papers, is waiting the pleasure of the Lord, who has many, many important matters on his mind, including how things might be going in those green pastures he made below, called Earth. Well, I guess that's about all the important business this morning, Lord. Uh, how about that cherub over at Archangel Montgomery's house? Where do they live, Lord? That little two-story gold house over by the pearly gates. Oh, that Montgomery. I thought you was referring to the old gentleman. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Cherub Christina Montgomery, wings is molten out of season, and nobody know what to do. Well, now, take care of that. You gotta be more careful, Gabe. Yes, Lord. Now, watch yourself, Gabriel. Don't you blow that horn. I wasn't gonna blow, Lord. I just pick it up every now and then so as I can keep the feel of it. Is there anything else you ought to remind me of? The prayers, Lord. The prayers? From mankind. You know, down on the earth. Oh, yeah. The poor little earth. Bless my soul, I almost forgot about that. Must be three or four hundred years since I've been down there. I wasn't any too pleased with that job. Ha! You know you don't make mistakes, Lord. So they tell me. I find I can be displeased, though. And I was displeased with the mankind I last seen. Maybe I ought to go down there again. I need a little holiday. Might do you good, Lord. I think I will. I'll go down there, walk the earth again, and see how them poor humans is making out. Uh, what time is it by the sun and the stars? Just exactly half past, Lord. Well, take care of yourself. I'll be back Saturday. 
channeled catfish than I would mankind in his teeth. Oh, I just can't stand see. Well, I guess I gotta be getting along here. Morning, brother. Good morning, brother. I declare, you look like a good man. I tries to be, brother. I'm the preacher here. I don't think I seen you to the meeting. Oh, I just come to town a little while ago. And I've been pretty busy. Yeah, most everybody around here is pretty busy these days. They're so busy they can't come to the meeting. It seems like the more I preaches, the more people ain't got time to come to church. I ain't hardly got enough members to fill up the choir. I got to do the preaching and the basin, too. Is that a fact? Yeah. Huh. You look like a preacher, too, brother. Well, I am, in a way. You just passing through the neighborhood? Yes, I wanted to see how things was going in your part of the country. And I've been feeling just about the way you do. It's enough to discourage you. Yes, but I've got to keep wrestling with them. Where are you bound for right now, brother? I was just walking along. I thought I might stroll on to the next town. Well, that's a pretty good distance. I live right here. Why don't you stop and give us the pleasure of your company for dinner? I believe the old woman has killed a chicken. Why, that's mighty nice of you, brother. I don't believe I caught your name. Noah, just Brother Noah. This is my home, brother. Come right here. Yes, sir, and you got a nice little home. Uh, have a ten-cent cigar. Thank you. Much obliged. Just what seems to be the main trouble among mankind, Noah? Well, it's... Seems to me the main trouble is that the whole district is wide open. Now, you know, that makes for loose living. Men folks spend all their time fighting and loafing and gambling and making bad liquor. What about the women? The women is worse than the men. If they ain't making love part of the out bed boy and stealing money for policy tickets. Terrible, terrible. Yes, sir. This used to be a nice, decent community. I've been doing my best to preach the word, but it seems like every time I preach, the place just goes a little more to the dogs. The good Lord only knows what's going to happen. That is the truth. Mm. What's the matter? I, I just got a twitch. My buck ego, I guess. Every now and then I get the twitch in the knee. Might be a sign of rain. That's just what it is. Noah... What's the most rain you ever had around these parts? Well, the water come down for six days steady last April, and the river got so full, it bust down the river all up above Freeport. Rays came all the way down to the delta. What would you say was it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Ah, I would say that was a complete rain. Noah, you don't know who I is, do you? Your face looks easy, but I don't think I recall the name. Look again, Noah. 
I should have known you. I should have seen the glory. That's all right, Noah. You didn't know who I was. I just don't preach a Noah, Lord. I'm your servant. I ain't very much, but that's all I've got. Sit down, Noah. Don't let me hear you shaving yourself. Says you are a good man. Just wanted to find out if you was good, Noah. Far as I can see, you and your family is the only respectable people in the world. They just all post sinners, Lord. I know. I'm your Lord. And I'm a god of wrath and vengeance. And that's why I'm going to destroy this world. Just as you say, Lord. I ain't going to destroy you, Noah. You and your family and your sheep and cattle and all the other things that ain't human, I'm going to preserve. But the rest has got to go. They all got to go. Everything. Everything in this pretty world I made. Except one thing, Noah. You, your family, and the things I said is going to ride that storm in the ark. Here's the way it's to be. Yes, sir. This seemed to be complete. Now about the animals, Lord. You say you want everything? Two of everything. That would include giraffes and hippopotamuses? Everything that is. Well, there was a circus come to town last week. I guess I can find them. Of course, I can get all the rabbits and possums and wild turkeys either. I'll just send the boys out. Hmm, I was just wondering. About what? About snakes. Think you'd like snakes, too? Certainly I want snakes. Oh, I, I can get snakes, lots of them. Of course, some of them's a little dangerous. Maybe I'd better take a keg of liquor, too. You can have a keg of liquor. Yes, sir. There's an awful lot of different kinds of snakes, come to think about it. There's water moccasins and cottonmouths and rattlers. Must be a hundred kinds of other snakes down in the swamps. Maybe I'd better take two kegs of liquor. I think the one keg's enough. No, I better take two kegs. Besides, I can put one on each side of the boat and balance the ship with them, as well as having them for medicinal use. You can put one keg in the middle of the ship. Oh, just these take two kegs, Lord. I think one keg's enough. Yes, Lord. But you see, 40 days and 40 nights... One keg, Noah? Yes, Lord, one keg. Sure is starting in all over down there. 
Well, it don't seem to set you up much, Gabe. Oh, well, Lord, you see, it ain't none of my business. What? I say, I don't know very much about it. I know you don't. I just wanted you to see it. Of course, it ain't your business, Gabe. It's my business. It was my idea. Why, the whole thing was my idea. And every bit of it's my business and nobody else's. Why, the whole thing rests on my shoulders. I declare, I guess that's why I feel so solemn and serious at this particular time. You know, this thing's turned into quite a proposition. But it's all right, Lord. As you say, it's dead. Yes, sir, it's dead. I only hope it's going to work out all right. thanks to three brilliant actors for those excerpts from Green Pastures, still an inspired classic of the American theater. Oh, Tallulah. Oh, Rudy, I will not let you break our date. Of course I wouldn't, Tallulah. I consider you a lady of infinite charm and well-versed in the social graces. No, thank you, my sweet. So when we leave the theater, you will let me whistle for the taxi. (laughs) Of course, Rudy, you may whistle for the taxi or anything else you may think of later. Good. Girl. Uh, thank you for each of those. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Yes, Rudy? When we're dancing, I usually hum a verse and two choruses. Please don't applaud. Mind if I swoon? If you do, you may feel confident that my arms of steel will support you. And one final suggestion. You'll find yourself wanting to run your fingers through my wavy hair. Don't. Just a censored, censored minute. I never heard so many don'ts in my life. I have a don't myself. I shall respect it to the letter. What is your don't? While we are dancing, if you have the urge to kiss me, don't hesitate. <laughs> and now, if you will just cool your heels a while, vagabond lover boy, I would like to present our next guest. He is a beautiful blonde young lady who was born in Boston, tried to make her mark as a singer, found the going rough, Went over to France and overnight became the toast of Paris. After four years, she returned to America as a French discovery. Here she is, Miss or Mademoiselle Jane Morgan. Hello, or comment how you Tallulah. How do you do, Miss Morgan? My name is Rudy Valley. Oh, hello. This is a pleasure. I understand, my dear. <laughs> Look, Rudy, if you don't mind, I would like to introduce Jane's song. I'm dying to hear her sing. What is your song, Miss Morgan? Je voudrais chanter Hymne à l'amour. Eh bien, tu m'offres chanter comme d'habitude, non, chanter à Paris? Oh, mais oui, je l'ai chanté souvent. Connaissez-vous Paris? Non, je t'adore Paris. Mais c'est l'avant-hôme, il vous fait leur printemps. Vous avez parlé comme un vrai Français. Non, je suis une doctrine d'enfant. Ha, 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 ha. 
La Creole is sure at all. Are you going to sing now, Jane? I'm ready. I'd be honored to introduce your song, if I may. I would be honored to sing it for you. Steady now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the lovely blonde Miss Jane Morgan, wearing dusty coral nail polish, will sing Hymn of Love. Et moi, qu'est-ce que je deviens? Meaning, whatever became of me. <laughs> the music matters, darling, if you please. and bon voyage. <laughs> and you must come back again some other year. Jane, you really have a very lovely voice. I'd like to get together with you and discuss it further one of these days. Oh, I'd like that very much. How about tonight? Just a minute, Buster. <laughs> you have a date with me tonight at 7.30. I know, my dear. Jane, shall we say 7.45? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, but I already have a date with a man of impeccable taste. 
Who told me he knows the best French restaurant in town? And he's going to order the finest French dinner I've ever had. A Frenchman? Oh, yes. He speaks the language like a native. Well, in that case, I concede defeat to a better man than I. Bully for you. Well, Jane, here I am. Are you ready, my petite Frulein? Frenchman? Ici, senor. And according to French custom, you will meet with me in the morning for a duel to the death. Six o'clock, sir? Six o'clock. And if I'm not there, you can start without me. Meredith Wilson and the big show Oxford and Chorus. I'll take just a moment before we continue to say that this is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The big show. This is the national broadcasting company, Sunday Extravaganza with the most scintillating personalities in show business. The Big Show, the Sunday night feature of NBC's All-Star Festival, is brought to you by Chesterfield, the only cigarette that gives you mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. The cigarette that brings you Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. By the makers of Anacin, for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. The big stars in this program are Fred Allen, Vivian Blaine, Jimmy Durante, Portland Hoffa, Jane Morgan, Rudy Valley, Meredith Wilson and his big show orchestra and chorus, and every week, your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable, Tallulah Bankhead. darlings, when we did this show from Hollywood last week, I left in such a rush, I forgot to make a phone call. And it's rather important, darling, so I know you won't mind if I talk to my friend over this microphone. Uh, hello, Merle. This is Tallulah. Oh, thank you for having me to dinner and for lending me that lovely scarf when I went home that night. Uh, you'll find the scarf wrapped around the lamppost in front of my hotel. <laughs> I forgot now why I wrapped it around the lamppost, but it seemed like the thing to do at the time. And oh, yes, thanks so much, darling, for lending me your car for the week. Oh, and Merle, keep Tuesday morning free. You have a date in traffic court. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't your fault at all. I found a wonderful place to park the car, and they put a ticket on it. I'm sure it must be a mistake, because there was a big sign right there that said, Fine for parking. <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, yes, darling, about the car. You remember the lamppost I mentioned with the scarf wrapped around it? You'll find the car wrapped around it, too. 
Well, that's why I wrapped the scarf around the lamppost. I couldn't stand there and watch the lamppost bleed to death, could I? Welcome back to New York, Tallulah. Red Allen, darling. Thank you. It's so nice having you back in town. I missed you. Oh, Fred, you're just saying that. Well, frankly, I am. <laughs> I know which side my bread is buttered on at 84 cents a pound. Oh, Fred, I'm disappointed in you. Really? Now, don't tell me you just come on the show for the money. Oh, no, no. It's not just for the money, Tallulah. It's the rent and the food, too. After all, money is only uh, green stuff that's paid out to the government in the form of income tax too frequently. Say, by the way, Tallulah, I took the liberty of listing you on my income tax as a dependent. I'm a dependent of yours. No, no, I am a dependent of yours. I depend on being a guest on this show, you see. And when I am not, the most calamitous things do manage to happen. Oh, come now, Fred. Nothing calamitous is going to happen if you're not on this show. Oh, now, don't, please don't say that. Look, let me show you what happened last week while you were out in Hollywood. It started at home about a week ago today. Yes, last Sunday it was. I was doing my morning calisthenics, getting in shape to lift the Sunday times. <laughs> and Portland was just sitting there in the corner doodling. Portland, Portland, Portland. Yes, Fred? Will you stop doodling without any yanking in front of it? Will you just... I was thinking, Really? Fred... Wait a minute. With what? With what? <laughs> Let's... Yes? Fred, when we go to the Copacabana tonight, yeah. you ought to buy orchids for the three ladies in the party. Orchids? Are you kidding? It's bad enough to have to take a party of six to dinner at that sunken Taj Mahal. <laughs> I should buy orchids yet. And it had to be this week you arranged the whole thing with Tallulah taking her show to Hollywood, and I'm out of a job. Well, you told me, Tallulah... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, if, told... if this dialogue, get some stuff for the frog in there. Get some lines. <laughs> Give the frog a few lines if you have them in your throat. Don't just stand standing there with nothing to say. You told me Tallulah likes you. Well, she does in a geographical way. She told me she'd go to the ends of the earth for me. But did she have to start this week? Well, it's uphill. She wanted to get an early start. <laughs> Just when I want you to buy some orchids. Oh, stop. Why didn't you go to NBC and clear your throat before we started the whole... <laughs> oh, stop with the orchids, Portland. Look, I got along very well before I knew Tallulah, back in B.C. And I'll get along... <laughs> I'll get along... <laughs> I'll get along. You want me to five, ten? I'll, you clear your boat. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. All right. And I'll get along now, too. I was on radio for 17 consecutive years before I went off the air. Well, Mama always said you couldn't hold a job. Yeah. And Mama says you should have taken that job you were offered in Louisville as a disc jockey. Well, that wasn't a disc jockey. That was just jockey. <laughs> Tell your mother to stop riding me unless she weighs in before. Mama warned me that someday you would deny me the simple little things of life. <laughs> the simple little things like orchids, for example. Everybody wears orchids to a nightclub dinner. Well, what do you what do you need with orchids? Look, can't you dye a couple of lettuce leaves purple? <laughs> 
And after we get there, you can sprinkle a little oil and vinegar on them, and we'll save on the salad. Oh, no. Not again. I did it last week when you told me to take the pimento out of the olive and put it in my ring for a ruby. Well, it looked very good with that string of pearls you were wearing. Pearls? It was a wet-looking ruby, but I mean, it looked well with the pearls. Those baby onions you made me string around my neck. Well, I thought you looked good enough to eat. Well, if you won't buy the orchid, I won't go. Good. I'll call up and cancel the table if it's over. Oh, Fred, you didn't actually cancel the table. Well, I certainly did, Tallulah, and the chairs, too. I called up a friend of mine who happens to be working at the Copa. Hello? Yes, this is Jimmy Durante. Jimmy, I want to cancel that table for dinner for tonight. Cancel the table? Wait a minute, we don't allow eating on the floor. Well, I mean, we're not coming. Cancel it. And you didn't go to the Copa? No, we didn't. And when word got around to the owners of the Copa, the tables were being canceled, so they told Jimmy Durante that they were going to cancel him. So Jimmy instantly got on the phone. Hello, Rudy Valley? Yes, this, this is he. This is Jimmy Durante. Oh, hi-ho, Jimmy. And ho-hi-ho to you. <laughs> uh, don't push me out of the mic. And <laughs> a ho-hi-ho to you, too. Maybe my, maybe my might have got a second laugh. Oh, no. Uh, you got a minute? Sure. My time is your time, your time is my time. All right, don't give me no concert. I got a job for you. I'm being canceled out of the Copa. They're looking for a cheap act to take my place. How dare you? When do I start? <laughs> right away. You got any new fresh material? No, but I'll have some written. I'll call up a friend of mine right away. Hello? Is this the unemployment insurance office? I'd like to speak to Fred Allen. This is Rudy Valley. Oh, hello, uh, Rudy. Yes, you just caught me here in time. Fred, will you write some fresh new material for me? I'll pay you $1,000. Well, that's a deal. Thank you, Rudy. For anyone who noticed that I got my phone call at the unemployment insurance office, I really ought to explain that I've been doing so much business with them lately that they have put a branch office in my living room. <laughs> now, on with the plot. Portland, order those orchids. We're, we're going to the Copa tonight. But... You canceled the reservation. Oh, shucks, so I did. Well, I'll fix that right away. I'll call my friend Jimmy Durante. Hello, uh, Durante speaking. Jimmy, uh, this is Fred Allen. I want that table back for dinner. Hello, this is uh, Rudy Valley speaking. This is Jimmy. That job at the Copa for you is off. They're buying tables again. <laughs> yeah. Will you get off the phone, Jimmy? I have to make a call. Hello? Yes, this is Fred Allen. Fred, I'm sorry, but I won't need that new material. Why, are you going on television? <laughs> no, my job has been canceled. Portland, cancel those orchids. Well, Fred, you're right back where you started from. Well, it even went farther than that, Tallulah. Portland canceled the $20 worth of orchids. The florist had been counting on that $20 to make a payment on his car. They took the car away. The florist's son, who had been promised the car for that night so he could propose to his girl, had to take a streetcar. He started to propose to the girl on the streetcar. The streetcar gave alerts, and he found himself engaged to the wrong girl. <laughs> and the first girl sued him for breach of promise. And the second girl was already married, so the florist's son was sent up for 20 years. 
So you see, Tallulah, there you are having jinx high and low in California while this poor florist son is sitting up there in jail with a single petunia, all because you didn't have me on your program last week. For shame, girl. I wish I would dare. <laughs> And now, your two gentlemen who are on this show every week for a very special purpose, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Say, Bing, you got a minute? Oh, sure, Bob. I got all the time in the world. Don't tell me you own that, too. Oh, never mind, Mr. Get to work with it. Okay. Folks, Better Tasting Chesterfield is the only cigarette that combines for you mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. And you can prove that yourself. Just make our mildness test. Buy Chesterfields, then open them and enjoy that milder, mellow aroma. Now light one up. And you'll know Chesterfield's milder because it smokes milder. And Chesterfield leaves no unpleasant aftertaste. That fact has been confirmed by the country's first and only cigarette taste panel. Yes, mildness and no unpleasant aftertaste are what you and I and every smoker want. Hurry up, Dad. Here comes the music. By Chesterfield, Chesterfield, the one that proves its case. Yes, Chesterfields are milder, milder, plus no aftertaste. Oh, ho, open the pack and give them a sniff. This past week, the drama critics of New York made their annual awards for the best plays on Broadway. The award for the best musical comedy went to Guys and Dolls. We are fortunate to have on the big show this evening the beautiful, young, and talented blonde who stars in Guys and Dolls, Miss Vivian Blaine. Come here, Vivian, darling. Or shall I call you by the name of that... A Runyon character you play in Guys and Dolls, Adelaide. Call me anything you like, Tallulah. I always say it's not what a patient's name is, it's what a patient is himself or herself, whatever the gender they may be. That's what I always say. You always say that, do you? I certainly do. I certainly do. I say it all the time. You must eat a lot of dinners alone, baby. <laughs> If I do, it's by choice, I assure you. Please, spare me the details. I'll be very happy to. You see, a girl like me has to be very careful of the patients with who she associates with. Why? Well, there's only one reason a guy goes out with a doll like I. It's my bilt. Your what? My bilt. Didn't you notice the bilt on my body? <laughs> Of course, of course, you're very trim, but darling, I don't worry much about that. Men go out with me for my mind. Yes? Yeah? Well, men go out with me for what I don't mind. <laughs> Every guy I go out with wants to neck. Aren't men disgusting? Oh, I don't find them that way, darling. I went out with a man the other night. He didn't even try to hold my hand. Oh, honey, that's too disgusting. <laughs> uh, this man happened to be a gentleman. They are the waste kind. <laughs> I used to go out with a guy like that. He had a lot of money, but he was a phony. Oh, what'd he do? He made phony money. <laughs> Counterfeiter? He'll get in trouble with the government. Oh, no. He's not in competition with the government. He only made $3 bills. <laughs> 
He was the best in the business. What an artist he was. But he was such a perfectionist. He fooled around on each bill for so long, he finally went bankrupt. Now, why was that? Well, each $3 cost him $4 to make up. There's no money in money anymore. <laughs> and then he went into another business. What an unlucky guy. So nice, but just no head for business. He was doing great in this new business. And suddenly the phone company raises the calls to 10 cents, and he's overloaded with nickel slugs. Yes, it's getting so a man can't make an honest dollar these days. You're so right, Tallulah. He finally got so discouraged, he gave up being legitimate and went into a crooked business. Oh, really? What's he doing? He's in politics. <laughs> I don't see him anymore, except on television once in a while. <laughs> his wife now and then. Oh, the eternal triangle. Yeah, she's got a built something like that. <laughs> I must say, I still vote for him every election. That's one thing I always say. A loyal friend is a person who is loyal to his friend, or high friend, depending upon whether the friends are guys or dolls. Well, darling, you just keep on saying that. Meanwhile, I'd like to introduce... We dolls on Broadway are loyal to a friend to the end. The end. Good. Now I would like to... Now you take a friend of mine, Tallulah. Must I? Well, this friend of mine, this particular friend of mine who shall be laid nameless, is going with a guy who got himself into a little bit of mischief. He murdered somebody. <laughs> and when he went to the electric chair, do you know that she promised to wait for him? Good for, <laughs> Good for Nameless. Uh, now, darling, would you mind singing your song? Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Vivian Blaine singing The Thrill Is Gone. Meredith, if you please, darling. Is gone. 
I can hear it in your sight, feel your touch and realize the thrill is gone. The nights are cold, and love is old, but love was grand when love was new. Birds were singing, skies were blue, now they don't appeal to you. Vivian, and now may I present Rudy Valley, Rudy Miss Blaine. And don't make me sorry. <laughs> Glad to meet you. My dear, I've been admiring your charms from afar for lo these 40 minutes, and I find you singularly attractive. Your pulchritude is exceeded only by your vivacity. Come again, Matt? <laughs> what I'm trying to say, my dear, is, Gerd, what a built on your body. <laughs> Rudy, I think it's time for a song. Miss Blaine, I can do much for you, my dear. Oh, no. I can take this rough, uncut diamond and hew it into a stone of unparalleled brilliance and polish if you'll only put yourself in my hands. No matter how they start out, it always ends up with necking. <laughs> my dear, you do me a great injustice. Before we go any further, Mr. Valley, I'd like to ask you one question. Do you gamble? Why do you ask that? Well, I just want you to understand, no dice. That ought to hold you, son. Now, Rudy, darling, how about that song you made famous? The Whip and Poof song. Meredith Wilson, darling, music, please. To the tables down at Maury, to the place where Louis dwells To the dear old temple bar We love so well Sing the whiffin' poofs assembled With their glasses raised on high And the magic of their singing Cast its spell Yes, the magic of their singing Of the song love so well Shall I wait and the rest We will serenade our Louis while life and voice shall last Then we'll pass and be forgotten Oh, poor little lamb. 
friends who have lost Next time you suffer from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, take Anison. You'll bless the day you heard of this incredibly fast way to relieve these pains. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take Anison for this wonderfully fast relief. Anison, A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Get Anison at any drug counter. I don't know whether you noticed it, ladies and gentlemen, but we have one gentleman on the big show this week who is famous for singing through his nose, Rudy Valley. There is another gentleman who talks through his nose, Fred Allen. And if that isn't enough, we also have the original nose himself, Jimmy Durante. <laughs> <laughs> After they all got together, we realized that Valley, Allen, and Durante on the same program was like putting bananas on bananas. All of which prompted our Meredith Wilson to write a new tune, which he calls, Don't Put Bananas on Bananas. 
And it will be sung by our nasal reserve trio. <laughs> Rudy, Fred, and Jimmy. I was doing a little high-class beach combing along the Florida Keys one day, hoping that a little bit of flotsam or jetsam might chance to come my way. When all at once, a passing young beauty aroused in me a feeling of fatherly paternity. Redundant, but true. <laughs> she was a local gal known as Florence Flotsam. Amongst the fellows of my... Paternity. <laughs> Meredith, do we need these gentlemen? Later that evening, I met her. By prearrangement, of course. Back of the merry-go-round. But all of her bathing suit charm of the day was nowhere to be found. She was wearing false eyelashes. Pearls where no pearls ever grew. Gone was that wonderful fresh morning look. Well, scrub, we call it my set. Her cheeks were engine house number two. And I quickly burned her. And this was my return. Bananas. Do not gild the lily, I am flawed. Don't take Coronas to Havana. Take no oysters to the Baltimore. Don't put bananas on bananas. Take no dimples on Malena's knees. Girls, must you figure that a pig is better bigger? Don't put bananas on bananas, if you please. Folks in Nevada, they don't need any dice, right? Folks in Alaska, they don't need any ice, right? in Milwaukee, they don't need any room, right? And so, my friend, let me say to you, don't put bananas on bananas. Do not kill the lily, I am Take the to Atlanta, right? Do not sell your junk to Singapore. a word from RCA Victor. Soon another baseball season will be underway, and it promises to be the biggest and the best yet. It's the 75th anniversary of the National League and the 50th anniversary of the American circuit. And these milestones attest to the enduring enjoyment we derive from our national pastime. It's the American way, baseball today. So get out to the park as often as you can, and when you can't be at the game in person, do the next best thing. Root for your favorite team on RCA Victor Million Proof Television. Its quality is proven in over two million homes. That one word, quality, explains why RCA Victor is America's most owned television. See your RCA Victor dealer soon, and while you're there, 
Order your copy of a truly unusual RCA Victor record, Fran Warren's Recording Session. Only 25 cents with the purchase of any one of the 27 great records in the RCA Victor's new Singers Single Series. Well, darlings, we have more show for you with all of our guests in just a moment. But first, Ed Hurley, he wants to say... This portion of the program was brought to you by Chesterfield, the only cigarette that gives you mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste, the best cigarette for you to smoke. By the makers of Anison, for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Now, Tallulah, if you'll bring your child. I'd be glad to, Ed. This, darlings, is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. This is the big show, and Tallulah Bankhead is about to introduce her next guest. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for our next number, we will... Uh... Hey, well, look who's here. Hello, John. Hi, Fred. Uh, I wanted to speak to Miss Bankhead. Yeah? But maybe I better come back later if she's busy. What's or... going on over no, there? No, no, John, look, this is only a radio show. Don't bother. After all, you are the radio and television critic of the New York Herald Tribune. Come on over. I'll introduce you. Tallulah, this is John Crosby. How do you do, Mr. Crosby? How's your father? <laughs> the thing wasn't feeling too well last week. Fred, maybe I'd better come back later. No, 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 wait, no, John, just, just a minute. I'll straighten this thing out. Tallulah, Mr. Crosby is with the New York Herald Tribune. You mean Bing, with all his money, would let his kids sell newspapers? <laughs> Tallulah, John is not Bing's son. Then why does he use his name? Miss Bankhead, everybody named Crosby isn't related to Bing. It just seems that way. Look, John Crosby at Tallulah is the critic on the Herald Tribune. Now, you know a critic is one of those writers who's always telling actors how badly they do something that he couldn't do half as well if he could do it at all. <laughs> oh, I don't know, Fred. Well, I can tell a good egg from a bad egg. I just can't lay one. <laughs> what makes you think you won't hear, brother? Doesn't everybody on this show? No, isn't he a critic? <laughs> Always knocking something. How did you ever become a critic, Mr. Crosby? Oh, I had all the qualifications. A college education, a typewriter, and a bad gallbladder condition. <laughs> well, are you going to write a review about the big show? Have you been uh, listening to us lately? No, lately I've been getting most of my entertainment on my television set. Well, what are you getting on your radio? Dust. <laughs> Mr. Crosby, I don't like your attitude. I happen to be a very good friend of the editor of the Herald Tribune. Uh, what's his name again? Horace Greeley? Yes. <laughs> After all, you're comparatively new around here, Johnny Come Lately. I was around on Broadway before radio. I understand it was before newspapers, too. <laughs> well, now, you didn't come up here just to insult me, did you, John? No, no, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I came up here as a representative of the Newspaper Guild to invite you to the annual page one ball at the Astor Hotel. Oh, you're selling tickets. I'm sorry, darling. I don't care for any. Besides, I'm going to be busy that night. I haven't told you what night it is. Now, let's not quibble over details, Mr. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Miss Bankhead. 
We were going to present you with the Page One Award for putting new life into radio. Award? Well, darling, why didn't you say so instead of standing there telling me you're Bing Crosby's son and he makes you sell newspapers and you with your gallbladder condition? <laughs> Darling, are you on the committee to present? All too large to see who would come down here. All you fellas fighting to see who would come down here to invite me. And you won. I lost. <laughs> Always a critic, aren't you? I'll bet your wife must have a sweet time of it with your criticizing everything around the house. Say, you know, Tallulah, that's an idea worth investigating. If you'll just sit down over there, John, and take a gallbladder pill... We'll give you our conception of the critic's life at home. We'll call it John's Other Life. Well, John, did you enjoy your dinner? Well, Mary, speaking in my capacity as a critic... I thought it was a little slow getting started. It kind of dragged through the soup, but it picked up at the end with the pie. Of course, pie for a finish has been done before. It's a good standard finish, but showed very little imagination. I thought you enjoyed it, John. What was wrong? Well, you could have done better with the sauce for the shrimp cocktail. And I thought the salad could have been done in better taste. But I will say the roast beef was well done. Thank you, John. Although I don't know how you got away with that one bit. That onion was pretty raw. But the radishes were pretty good. We had radishes before. I didn't think you'd mind my repeating them. <laughs> Not if you don't mind mine. Well, now I'm anxious to know what you thought of the pie, John. I thought, really, I thought it was an exciting two minutes that you had there. But didn't you underplay the crust... Just a little, Mary. Why, John, my mother taught me how to make that pie. Mother won every first prize at every county fair in the state. Everybody for miles around said that mother's pie was the best they ever tasted. Nobody could bake a pie like my mother. And I was the only one she ever showed how to make a pie as deliciously as she could make a pie. <laughs> that commercial is a little long, Mary. <laughs> well, I guess I'd better get to work. I have to review a mystery show tonight. I guess I'll start out by saying it's a mystery to me how that show ever got on the air. That's pretty funny, isn't it, Mary? Oh, <laughs> didn't you like the show? <laughs> oh, I haven't, I haven't heard it yet. It starts in a few minutes. But that's what I'll say in my review. It's a mystery to me how that mystery ever got on the air. <laughs> but don't you think you ought to hear it before you review it? Are you trying to have me thrown out of the Critics Guild? Well, it seems to me if you're going to review a show, you ought to hear it before you knock it. Well, suppose I like it. Fine six, I'll be in then. We're only allowed two good reviews a year. <laughs> and I want to save those until I see what I get for Christmas. Well, I don't care. I want to hear it and I'm going to. Oh, Mary, how can I write if you're going to turn that radio on? Not quiet, John. I want to hear this. And so, introducing for the first time on your radio, The Adventures of Richard Richards, Private Dick. 
name is Richard Richards. I'm not the fat man. I'm not the thin man. I'm sort of in the middle. And every gangster in town is out to eliminate the middleman. I was sitting in my office one day eating my lunch when in walked this beautiful blonde with a beautiful built on her body. So I says to her, how do you do, sir? I didn't want her to think I noticed. Richard. That's right, lady. Well, my husband was killed last night. Please, not while I'm eating. <laughs> I want you to find the murderer. You've got to help me, Mr. Richard. The police suspect me. Yeah? Where were you last night? Well, I had gone to dinner with some friends, and after that, we went to the theater. After the theater, we decided to go dancing, and everybody, I said, I looked just like a doll, and to tell you the truth, I thought I looked pretty good myself. Well, anyway, I got home about half past four, and there was my husband dead. I told him he should have come with me, but oh, no, he had to stay home and get killed. Next time, he'll know better. So when the police began to suspect me, I decided to come here and give you the case. So you won't talk, huh? <laughs> Mr. Richard, if you find out who killed my husband, I'll give you $5,000. Now you're talking. Tell me, missus. Oh, excuse me, I should say miss, now that your husband was murdered. Who do you think uh, would have wanted to kill your husband? I don't know. I don't know who would want to kill him. He wouldn't harm a fly. Well, that eliminates all the flies. <laughs> now we can narrow it down to people. Are there any people who might have wanted to kill him? Did he have any boyfriends? Yes, I had a boyfriend. Where's he? I killed him. Just a minute. One case at a time. His brother Joe could have done it. Joe and my husband fought like cats and dogs. Well, now we're down to cats and dogs. His name was Carlo. Who, your husband? No, my husband's name was Marlo. And he said if he caught him out with me, he'd kill him. Who, uh, Carlo? No, Marlo. Oh, but oh. But what Marlo didn't know was that Carlo was mixed up with a phony racketeer named Harlow, and he was embezzling him. Who, uh, Marlo? No, Harlo. Oh, oh. But the strange part of it was that Carlo made a deal with Harlow to run out on Marlo, so he decided to kill him. Understand? I'll take a chance. <laughs> Carl! That's right! <laughs> well, we're getting someplace. Now, if I can find the murderer, we'll have the case solved. Leave it to me. I'll go out and find him. Oh, Mr. Richard, you'd better be careful. He's dangerous. Who? Carlo? No, Carlo! Well, here we go again. Okay, I don't care if he's dangerous. I'll take my 38 with me. Ten cents there, ten cents back. And 18 cents for expenses. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes, Mary, I'm going to turn this thing off. John, what are you doing? I want to hear that program. Well, I've got to review this program. How can I listen to it and review it? Well, I want to hear it. I'm tired of you telling me what I can listen to and what I can't listen to. Mary, I am warning you. John, put that gun down. Don't shoot or I'll move. That does it. Now, maybe I can get this review written. Let me see. Richard Richards made its bow on radio last night. And I must say, I found it very dull. But I will admit, it killed my wife. Cosby, I hope you'll take our little conception of a critic's life at home in the spirit in which it was meant, with malice. Of course. 
<laughs> I understand. And we all appreciate how hard a critic works to listen to so many shows and give each one an unbiased and objective criticism. Thank you, Miss Banker. Oh, by the way, John, uh, are you going to review this show, darling? Oh, sure. Well, now, why don't you sit down and watch the rest of it so you can write a complete review, huh? No, no, that won't be necessary. I wrote it yesterday. <laughs> it starts off... The big show this week was given a tremendous lift by the appearance of John Crosby, whose ready wit and charm caused the professionals to appear pale by comparison. <laughs> That's you, John Crosby. <laughs> and thanks to all the ladies and gentlemen of the New York press who honored me with the award. I'm looking forward to April the 13th and the page one ball to Astor Hotel, where I'll meet all you lovely, lovely people. Newspaper people, you know, darling, you have to be so nice to them. <laughs> And now I see Mary Wilson champing at the bit, so here he is with his orchestra and chorus to play for the first time anywhere, Joe Bushkin's latest musical composition with words by John DeFee's Other Voices. <laughs>
Robert Devine Meredith, a beautiful arrangement of another colorful tune by Joe Bushkin. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we ask you to go back with us in your imagination to the year 1900, which, according to my calculations, is about 32 years ago. The scene is Central Park on a spring afternoon. Three gay young men named Jimmy, Rudy, and Fred walk along the path in their straw skimmers and high-button shoes. Of course, in between, they have on coats and trousers. <laughs> Coming merrily from the opposite direction are three devastatingly gorgeous young maidens, Vivian, Jane, and Tallulah. <laughs> As the gay young men pass the devastatingly gorgeous maidens, they slow down and look back. But being young gentlemen of breeding, they do not speak. <laughs> and the three devastatingly gorgeous girls, being prim and proper, pay the young men not the slightest heed. <laughs> Slow down, girls. This is our fourth time around. <laughs> I don't think we'll find anybody better. And for goodness sake, stop staring at them. You're a fine one to talk to, Lula. Your eyes are popping out from staring. That's not from staring, Jane. My corset's laced too tight. <laughs> what do we say if they ask to go for a ride on their bicycle? Well, darling, they haven't got a bicycle. Well, they must have. The one in the middle has a bicycle horn. That's no bicycle horn, silly. That's his nose. I like the one in the blue dress with the bustle. I like the one in the pink dress with the bustle. Say, I like the one in the black dress, and that's no bustle. <laughs> she puts on a bustle, that would be putting bananas on bananas. <laughs> boys, 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 let us not be too hasty. They may be hussies. <laughs> they, they look like ponies to me. <laughs> yes, and they may want us to spend money. Well, we are loaded, Rudolph. We've got a dollar and a half between us. Yes, yes, we're three couples. We'll only be able to take them to Delmonico's for dinner and then to the theater. Yes, a dollar and a half doesn't go far these days. <laughs> well, what can you expect with those Republicans in the White House? <laughs> Rudolph, do you think a Democrat will ever be president? Oh, Fred, stop dreaming. <laughs> I wonder what they're talking about. From the way they're looking at us, I'll bet they're not talking politics. Lula, I think one of them wants to talk to me. What makes you think that? Well, he's got his arm around me. <laughs> I've seen his picture someplace. I always remember that Marcel hair. Did I see it in the paper, Jane? I saw it, too. I think it was on a stereopticon slide. No, I saw it. It was in the post office. He's a slicker. He looks to me like he's been up the river. A small-timer like that? He's only been up the creek. <laughs> Which one of us is going to drop the handkerchief? Oh, not me. I got my nickel car fare tied up in it. Tallulah, Tallulah, did you bring along any mad money? I never get mad, darling. <laughs> How long are we going to stand here looking indifferent? I promised Mama I'd be home at four. Well, I promised Mama I'd be home at five. I promised my husband I'd be home at six. <laughs> Tallulah, here they come. Look single. Tell me, pretty maiden, are there any more at home like you? There are a few kinds 
But simple girls and proper too. Then tell me, pretty maiden, what these very simple girlies do. Kind sir, their manners are perfection and the opposite of mine. Take a little walk with me and then I can see what a most particular girl should be. I may love too well to let you go and flirt with those at home you know. My little girl, you see, I only want but you. on the big show to welcome a very distinguished guest who, despite suffering the effects of a severe cold, has been kind enough to be with us here tonight. We are indeed honored by the presence of that distinguished American, officer of the United Nations, winner of the Nobel Prize for his efforts in behalf of the cause of peace, Dr. Ralph Bunch. <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Mr. Allen. Miss Bankhead, I have long been one of your great admirers. For your artistry, of course. But even more so because of your well-earned reputation for believing in and practicing democracy. I am delighted at this opportunity to meet you on this great program. Incidentally, all of your friends and admirers will be happy to know that at Town Hall tomorrow night, on behalf of the George Washington Carver Memorial Institute, you are to be presented with the award of merit and honorary fellowship for your outstanding contributions to the theater, to the arts and sciences, to human welfare, and to good Americanism. That's good news and something fully deserved. You believe in people, Miss Bankhead. And as you know, that is the guiding light of the United Nations. Belief in people of all kinds, in their desire and need for peace and freedom, in their progressive well-being, in applied democracy. I feel sure, Miss Bankhead, that all who believe in the American governmental system and in the American way of life will be happy to join me in congratulating you on the new and signal honor which will be presented to you tomorrow night at Town Hall. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bunch, from the bottom of my heart. I am deeply touched and profoundly grateful to you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday we have another cast of the big names of show business. Eddie Arnold, Eddie Cantor, Phil Foster, Tommy Henrich, Martha Ray and others, and, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Ox and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you, whether near or far away, living. May you find that long-awaited golden day today. Fred. May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten, Jimmy. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again, Portland. May you walk with sunlight shining and a bluebird in every tree, Meredith. May there be a silver lining Back of every cloud you see Jane In your dreams with sweet tomorrows Never mind what might have been Will you, Marshall? May the good Lord bless and keep you Till we meet again May you long recall each rainbow Then you'll soon forget the rain May the warm and tender memories Be the ones that will remain May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet 
again. Good night, darlings, and Godspeed to our armed forces all over the world who hear these broadcasts each week. The Big Show is produced and directed by D. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Frank Wilson. This is Ed Hurley, he's speaking. Later here at Theater Guild, now it's Bill Harris and Alice Bay on NBC.